All right. Thank you, Nathan. Good morning. Welcome to Sojourn. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. Well, as you just listened to and read, we're in Acts chapter 14 this morning. Uh, and in, in our journey through the book of Acts, uh, as, as we've noted now for a couple of weeks, Paul and Barnabas are out on what we refer to as the first missionary journey. This is the first time that the apostles have gone out to the Gentiles. So they're out into the Roman world, so that's why you have a lot of different cities and towns that are mentioned there. Uh, and, and here in chapter 14, we have, uh, we have several stories that Luke recounts to us uh, of their travels. We get to the end of this first journey here at the end of, of chapter 14. Uh, and so we're, we're picking up on some themes that ought to be pretty familiar to us by now if, if you've been listening uh, for a number of weeks. And really, I think right at the heart of this passage is a theme that's right at the heart of the book of Acts, and that's the idea of mission, right, of going out and being on mission or living on mission and I wanted to take a minute before, before I dive into the text, I wanted to take a minute just, just to unpack that phrase, living on mission or being on mission. What, what do we mean by that? that? That can be a buzzword among Christians and among churches. It's something you probably hear a lot, but it's like, what does that mean? What do we mean by that? If, if I'm living on mission or I'm on mission, what does it mean? If I'm not on mission, what does that mean? Uh, you know, if... Uh, if, you're, if you haven't been in that kind of context, so you, you might not be sure. Like, what, what does it mean? Uh, and I think in its simplest form, okay, that, I mean, there are entire books written about missions, so, you know, you can, read, you can read more. There's more to find. But in its simplest form, I think it's this, is that we, we, are, we are living our lives in a way that we're focused on God's mission of making disciples, okay? So, so here at Sojourn, when we say we want to be on mission, what we mean is we'll, we want to be a part of the Great Commission, and we want to we want to be living our lives in such a way that we are making disciples of Jesus, and that we're we're thinking about that 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 is at the forefront of our thinking for our own individual lives, for our families, for our kids, for our community, okay, for our friendships. That 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 we're always thinking, okay, how am I going to leverage these opportunities for the sake of the gospel and to make disciples, okay? And this means a number of things for us, a couple that I want to highlight. One is that it means we live our lives on purpose. We live on purpose. That we, life doesn't just happen to us. We're not just kind of floating through life aimlessly and whatever, whatever comes, it's like, oh, that seems kind of cool. I'll, I'll do that. Or, that, you know, I don't like that so much, so I'll try something else. No, no, no. We're, we're living on purpose. We're living intentionally, purposefully. Uh, that's part of what it means to be on mission. And then I think the other one, uh, that I was thinking about this week, uh, as I was thinking about this, is just that we live our lives with a with a clear focus on other people, being being others centered, if you will. Uh, I thought about you know when Jesus is asked very famously what the greatest commandment is, okay, and he says he says two, he says love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, that that basic idea that we're gonna we're gonna love others as ourselves. Paul, this same Paul that we talk about here, he unpacks that later to the church and he says, consider the needs of others more important than your own. More important than your own. I think he says it that way because if we didn't, we wouldn't do what other people wanted, right? It has to be more important because we already consider our needs really important. That, that, you know, Paul doesn't ever say that. 
God doesn't ever have to say, hey, think about yourself, okay? Our culture says that to us a lot, but, but the Bible never says that, and it's because that's default, okay? We think about ourselves a lot, and we consider our own needs a lot, and our own desires a lot, and so we have to be told, we have to be commanded, hey, think about other people. Love others the way you would yourself. Consider their needs more important than your own. And so when we're thinking about being on mission or living on mission, we're making disciples, meaning we're living on purpose and we're living with an, an others-focused mentality. Other people, that I, I am aware of other people. I know they exist when I walk into a room, okay? My first thought is not, how many amazing stories can I tell about myself, right? How good can I make myself look? How can I leverage this opportunity to put myself forward, okay? Uh, you know, some of us are chuckling because we know what it is to do that stuff, right? I know what it is to do that. I know what it is to walk into a place and think, okay, how am I gonna leverage this opportunity for me and to make my name great? Instead, God says, no, 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 <laughs> when you, when you, When you come into a place, like think about other people. How can you help? How can you serve? How can you talk to other people? How can you listen to what they're saying and not just immediately think about what you're gonna say in response? So that's something with an others-focused mindset. All right, that raises a question. Well, how do we do that? Well, it's really hard, okay? I'm not telling you anything you don't know. It's really hard to live that kind of life. You know, we live in a culture that's constantly distracting us from what really matters. We, we live, uh, Esther and I, we were talking about it yesterday, like we live in an age of distraction, I think particularly among younger people, but not only younger people. Uh, those of us who are, who are getting into middle-agedness, I'm almost 40, guys. Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? It's not this year, praise the Lord. But it's, I won't say whether or not it's next year or not, but like we're getting there, right? I think that's middle-aged at that point, okay? I mean, that's it. My goodness. And then those of us who are older, like, we can be distracted too, okay? We can be distracted, and our culture wants to distract us. Uh, and then, as I already mentioned, we, we don't need any help focusing on ourselves. We, we've got that down really, really well. And again, our culture just wants to feed that and encourage that and say, that's fine. It's fine to think about yourself. It's fine to put yourself first in every situation. And so then, if, if we're really going to live on mission, okay, it, it requires a whole different way of seeing the world, a whole different way of defining what truly matters and what's important in life. Uh, and I think in our text today, uh, there are some things that are essential if we're going to live on mission, some things that we absolutely have to do. We must be, I think, willing to do these things because, again, I don't think they come naturally. I don't think they're easy, but we must be willing to do them. Uh, And I think there are four of them. You thought I was going to say three, right? Four of them. We must be willing to face resistance. We must be willing to be misunderstood. We must be willing to persevere, and we must be willing to celebrate. Okay, those four, we'll take them in order. First of all, we must be willing to face resistance. Uh, I mentioned before, there's a pattern that we see in all these missionary journeys. There are actually several patterns that we see, and we'll, we'll talk about a few of them here today. But, but the most pronounced, the most obvious is that Paul and whoever he's traveling with, they get, they get to a new place and they start sharing the gospel, usually in the synagogue. So they usually start with, with those who would have believed the Old Testament, okay? And they start there and they're, they're saying, hey, Jesus is the Messiah. And then from there, it kind of spreads to the city. 
uh, and, and Paul kind of gained, tries to gain an audience with kind of the, the, the civic and the cultural leaders. Uh, and there are two things that I think always happen. Number one, some people are really interested. Some people are really interested and they always want to hear more. And then as it gains popularity, the second thing happens, which is opponents rise up. Opponents rise up and they try to stop what is going on. And that's exactly what happens uh, in both of these stories. The first one happens at a city called Iconium. The second one is in Lystra. Uh, And the same thing kind of happens, at least at the beginning, in both places. Uh, So verse 2 of chapter 14 Uh, Here's the way Luke writes it. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Uh, And so that's that's Luke's kind of summary statement of of what's going on. And and we've mentioned it before, but I'll just remind us that when Luke says unbelieving Jews, he's talking about uh, either it could be ethnic Jews, okay, or, or it could be these, what we call the Hellenists, Greek-speaking Jews, but, but those who believe the Old Testament, but they did not believe Paul. They did not believe Jesus was the Messiah. They did, they did not believe the message that Paul was teaching and preaching, and so they are his opponents, uh, and they're speaking out against him. They're trying to discredit him. Uh, they're saying what he's, and, and they are, the, the other thing, the other kind of phrase that Luke uses a lot is, they, is stir up. Okay, they're they're stirring people up, and because they're seeing, hey, this message is starting to take a foothold. We we need to stir the people up and get them to reject this, and that's exactly what happens here at Iconium. Uh, and we're told that that this goes on for a while. Typically, they were, they were in a city for anywhere from six to eighteen months. That was pretty normal. Uh, in terms of timeline. And so, so we're told in verse three that they remained for a long time, that the, the Lord grants signs and wonders to validate the message that Paul is giving. Uh, and so eventually a plan arises to stone Paul, to kill him and Barnabas. Uh, through the Lord's grace, they find out about it and they flee, they leave. They leave Iconium and they go to Lystra. And so this time, They make it out. They make it out of harm's way just barely. But then in Lystra, uh, and we'll talk more about this one as we go throughout, but but the end result is that uh, these Jews from Iconium end up, they hear that Paul's in Lystra, and they're like, we got to go there and stop him. So they they show up there, and they they start trying to poison their minds. They succeed, and they get the people riled up against Paul, and they end up stoning him. And verse 19 tells us that they left him for dead. Okay, they left him for dead. Maybe Paul actually died and he was resurrected. Maybe he was just like on death's doorstep. Uh, Luke's phrasing here is not entirely clear. I think you could take it either way uh, with respect to the Greek. But the point is, I mean, you know, they succeeded. They stopped Paul. They stoned him, or they thought they succeeded, right? But Paul gets up, and of course, he's right back at it. Uh, But the reality, very clearly, is that Paul and Barnabas faced resistance. And they faced it on multiple fronts and in multiple forms. And, and really, what I want to say, what I just want to call us to here in thinking about that, because this, again, this is not new. This is a pattern we've seen in Paul's life. It was a pattern we saw in the early church. It's a pattern we saw in the life of Jesus. Uh, and it's simply this, that there's a price to pay to follow Jesus. That if we're going to follow Jesus, there is a price to to pay. We will face resistance, okay? Uh, I love uh, verse 21, 
when they had preached the gospel to that city, meaning back to Derby, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. So they, Lystra is where Paul got stoned. So they go back to Lystra, okay? Paul's not staying away, all right? He goes back to Lystra after some time has passed. So the heat's died down a little bit. But he goes back there and notice what he says. Verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we, plural, we, not him, we must enter the kingdom of God. In other words, Paul didn't think that it was strange what was happening to him. He didn't think it was abnormal. He didn't think, oh, this isn't going according to plan. No, he's like, this is, this is what it is. We're going to face resistance. Uh, and so the reality is, is that if we're going to live on mission, we have to be willing to face resistance. I th- we know we're going to face resistance. I mean, in, in our cultural moment, I think we all understand that. I don't think there's any Christians in the room who are unaware that there's, that there's some resistance, right? There's, there's some cultural capital, there's some social capital that's going to be lost if we're really living on mission. Uh, and yet, uh, and so I, I'm not saying, like, intellectually, are you okay with it? I'm saying, are you willing? Like, are you willing to, to suffer what it's going to cost in order to really be on mission? And so I think, I think there's a, a question that we have to ask ourselves. Is it possible that you're more concerned with not suffering, with not facing resistance, with not having anything cost you something than in living on mission with God, okay? I I think that's a question. It's an uncomfortable question, but it's a question we have to ask ourselves, right? Am I just at a place where I don't don't really want to count the cost of what this is going to mean? In Luke 14, Jesus very famously tells us to count the cost. He says, anyone who come after, come after and follow me must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And then he says, you gotta count the cost, right? That there's a cost to following me and you, you need to consider it. There's a cost to living on mission. We have to be willing to face it. The second thing that I want us to see is that we must be willing to be misunderstood. We must be willing to be misunderstood. So in this, in this second section, when Paul and Barnabas are at Lystra, where Paul gets stoned, the way that all this happens is a little bit different than when they were at Iconium. Uh, we're told in verse 8 that there's a man who's, who's crippled. He, he wasn't able to walk. We've seen several people like this throughout uh, the book of Acts. Uh, and so there's a man there, and anytime we're introduced to a person like that, at this point, like, we know what's coming, right? God's about to do something amazing. He's about to heal this man, and that's exactly what happens. So we look there at verse 9, Paul, looking intently at him, and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. Okay, so God moves in a miraculous way. A miracle happens. This man who is crippled is able to stand up. And walk, and it seems like, man, everything's great. And now we're gonna get, now we're gonna get what we next expect, which is, and thousands of people believed the message of Paul, and they repented, and they were baptized. Right? We've seen that before. That's not what happens. That's not what happens, is it? Verse eleven. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in their own language, "The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men." Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And then the priest of Zeus comes out, 
whose temple was at the entrance of the city, and he's got oxen and garlands ready to offer sacrifice. In other words, and by the way, if you didn't, if you know much about pagan sacrifices back then, they were just big parties, okay? And they were ready to throw a party, okay? They're, ready, they're, they're like, oh my gosh, there's Zeus, there's Hermes, here we go. They came down to earth, which if you know anything about Greek mythology, that happened from time to time. Uh, and so they're, I mean, they're, ready, they're ready to have sacrifice. I mean, they get, they're ready to go. And, uh, and what's interesting, there's a language barrier here because we're told in their own language and, and we're told that it takes Paul and Barnabas a little bit to kind of figure out what's going on. They're, they're, you know, they're just kind of watching everybody and they're like, what's going on? I, I don't fully understand it. Uh, but then, verse 14, but when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men. Okay, so they're like, no, 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 don't, don't do this. Uh, and, and the reality is that Paul and Barnabas were just, they were just misunderstood, right? They were misunderstood, that the people were not grasping everything that they were saying. And, and this, you know, as misunderstandings go, this is a pretty big one. I mean, this is, this is like, whoa, this one's really bad, okay? They, they're about to start offering sacrifices. And, and again, it's not just that they think Paul and Barnabas are gods, right? We've seen God's, uh, God's people be mistaken for that before Peter was, remember Cornelius bows down to Peter when he first sees him and Peter's like, get up, I'm a man too. Like, don't, don't bow down to me. But it, it's worse than that. It's not just that they think they're gods, they think they're particular gods, right? Zeus and they're like, you're our gods, great. And so we've got a real big mess on our hands uh, and, and the end result, I mean, Paul starts trying to reason with them and, and talk with them, and, and we'll have, if you're, if you're curious about the style that Paul uses here as opposed to what he says in the synagogues, we're going to pick up on that later in Acts, so we'll, we'll get there, we're just not going to talk about it today. Uh, but then in verse 18, the end part, he says, even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifice to them. In other words, I take Luke to mean they just made him really upset. Okay, because the people thought they were about to have a big party. And then Paul and Barnabas do everything they can to say, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. And so now everyone's just like, well, now what are we gonna do, right? We got all these supplies. We got the oxen, we got the garland, we got the priest here and, and all the other debauchery that was gonna go on from that. And they're like, we're, we, wanted, we wanted to have some fun. Uh, and that moment is when in verse 19, these Jews from Antioch and Iconium show up and the crowd is, is just ripe, right, to turn on Paul and Barnabas. They already don't like them because of what's just happened. And they tell them, oh, yeah, these are bad guys. They just feel that. And that's why Paul ends up getting stoned. We have to be willing to be misunderstood, right? We have to be willing to be misunderstood. Um, there's a couple of things that I think we need to see here. One if Jesus and Paul and Barnabas were misunderstood, guess what? We're gonna be misunderstood too. Like, we, we just are. We're, we're not gonna be able to escape that fate. Not if we're really on mission. Not if we're really opening our mouths and talking about Jesus. Like, we're not going to be able uh, to escape this reality. Um, and, and I think this, I, you know, I put these two things, willing to face resistance, willing to be misunderstood. I put those here at the front 
not only because we see them first in the text, but I really think most of us probably fall into one of two groups. Uh, I think some of us really struggle with being willing to face resistance, right? I think some of us are right there. We're like, mm, you know, I'm happy to follow Jesus as long as everything's like hunky-dory great, okay? As long as, you know, I'm kind of, my life's good and I'm at peace and I have joy. I get, you know, all that stuff that God promises. Like, I want all that stuff. I'd like to have it, please. Thank you. And as long as I have it all and life's pretty easy, like I'm good, but if I, if I meet resistance, if I meet suffering, eh, I'm not so much on board for that. So I think some of us are there. But then I think there are others of us who like, we're fine with facing resistance. We're fine with suffering. Not that we like it, but we get it. That's part of the Christian life. But I think this other piece, this willing to be misunderstood, I think we really struggle. And I think part of the reason we really struggle with that is that that's just the cultural moment of the day, right? Because our culture is all about, we call it authenticity, um, which, uh, you, right, the irony is not lost on you that in the age of social media, we value authenticity, right? Okay, and that all the most popular shows are re- reality TV shows. Okay, right. we're all tracking there. Okay, that's another soapbox for another day. Um, but, but we do value authenticity, okay? We want people to be honest, at least to a point. We, we want to feel uh, like people are telling us the truth. I've talked before about how my generation, millennials, like we don't trust anyone or anything. We're skeptical of everybody. Uh, and, and so when we find someone and we think, oh, they're authentic, like they can be trusted, and we are trying to be authentic ourselves, but wrapped up in all that is that we want to be understood, like we, it's like, okay, I'll be authentic, but if I am, you have to get me. You, you have to understand me, and you have to affirm all this stuff that I'm saying. Uh, and, and, and like misunderstanding just doesn't jive with that. It doesn't work with that. And, and if I know from the outset some people aren't going to understand me, I think there are some of us who are like, I'm just not going to say anything. Like, I'm just, I'm just not going to talk about that. I'm not going to keep that to myself because I don't want to be misunderstood. I, I, I don't want that. I can't handle that. And so I think there are some of us who, who we really struggle with being misunderstood. Uh, and we're, again, I think we're happy to, to, to face some resistance, but like we don't want to be misunderstood. And, and I think we just, we just have to accept like we're going to be. We're going to be misunderstood a little bit here. Uh, and, and here's the unfortunate part is that I actually think it's, it's, kind, of a, it's kind of a one-two punch here because we're definitely going to be misunderstood by the culture at large, right? We're, we're going to be misunderstood by our society. Um, they, they're going to get the message wrong, okay? There, there are so many people who think they know what Christianity is and, like, they have no idea, okay? You guys, you guys know that. Uh, and so there, there's, there's a messaging issue where... I think especially in America, because people are still so familiar with, with kind of Christian and religious language that we can say one thing and they're like, oh, I know what that means. And like, they don't have any idea what it means. Okay. And so we're, we're struggling with that. But then, uh, not only do they get the message wrong, they might get us wrong too. Okay. And, and, and I think it's interesting because one of the, if I can use the word tactic, I think one of the tactics that's very much promoted out there in kind of the larger Christian culture when it comes to evangelism and sharing the gospel and being on mission is, is this idea of like, hey, like, yes, the gospel offends, but like, we don't want to do anything to offend people. Like, we, we don't want to upset anybody because, again, that's just kind of the, the cultural moment of the day. And, and look, you know, I, I don't advocate going out and offending people just for kicks, okay? Like, I don't think that's, that's the road we ought to be on. Um, but again, this whole, this whole idea of like offending people, well, if they don't understand me, that could be offensive, 
You guys see where we're tracking here? And so it's like, well, again, if I think there's a chance that they might be offended, well, I just, I just won't, we, it can para, we'll become paralyzed. Um, and, and we just, I think, have to understand that not only are they gonna get the message wrong, they might get us wrong. And they might misunderstand our motivations and misunderstand our hearts and like where we're coming from and what we desire. And yet, it just is. It just is. But not only are we gonna be misunderstood by our own culture, man, you know, we're gonna be misunderstood by other Christians too, I think, if we're really, really living on mission and we're really trying to do things in a biblical way. We're gonna be misunderstood by, by Christians as well, or at least people who say they're Christians. Uh, you know, one of the things, we're getting a little bit into, into my world, a little bit into church life world, but I think it's fascinating because uh, if you hang around Christians and especially pastors enough, you know, you basically find that most people think one of two things about churches. Um, some people think that, uh, that you don't care about reaching people, okay? Like if your church doesn't do A, B, C, D, and E, then you just don't, you don't care about reaching people. You don't care about, about having non-Christians in your church. You don't care about the hurting. You don't care about the broken. Like you, you just don't care. You don't, you don't care. And so you, you have to do it this way. And if you don't, like you just, you just don't care about, about reaching people. And so typically, like, if you're a church and you, and you value preaching and teaching and doctrine, it's like, well, you don't care about reaching anybody, right? You're, everything's too up here. It's too theological and that kind of stuff. But then, if you, on the other hand, if you, like, make efforts to try to reach new people and you're like, hey, we're actually going to do some things to, like, pursue people who aren't Christians, uh, and, and, and it's like, well, then all you care about is reaching people. You don't care about God, you know, you don't, you don't value truth. You know, you don't really preach the Bible. It's just watered-down, topical, feel-good sermons, okay? I mean, we, we say this stuff all the time. And look, it's all, it's all a self-justification project. Like, that's all it is at the end of the day. Um, but, but the reality is, like, you're just going to be criticized. You just are. And you're going to be misunderstood. And people are going to assume that they know what you think and why you're doing this. And oh, I, I know why you said it that way, you know, da 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 uh, and that, you know, that's like the worst parts of social media. And, and I would just say this. It, it's not that I, I'm like, well, just suck it up and do it. Like, I feel bad for you guys. I feel, you're right, like I feel bad for anybody, any church, any Christian who's really trying to live out their faith in a way that's like consistent with what we see in Acts because we see both. Like Paul's not watering down the truth. Paul's not sacrificing uh, I mean, Paul's given us the truth. He's given us the gospel, right? He's the one who's saying, hey, this is how you be a missionary. This is how you're a church planner. This is what it looks like. He's not doing any of that stuff. And yet, he makes it accessible to people. You notice, he said it differently to the Greeks than he says it to the Jews. Like, he contextualizes, that's the word, okay? Like, Paul actually wanted people to come in and believe. That was his whole mission. That was his whole deal. Uh, and, and we're just so eager to criticize. And it's unfortunate. But here's the truth, and, and this is the last question I want us to see in the same way that I asked with suffering. Is it possible that you're more concerned with being misunderstood than with living on mission this morning? Is it possible that, that, that your unwillingness to be misunderstood, okay, is like keeping you from really, really being honest about the gospel and really pressing in to the relationships that God has around you? We have to be willing to be misunderstood. Uh, two more, we're gonna go faster here. The third thing, we have to be willing to persevere, okay? And, and what I wanna say, I think it's pretty straightforward. 
Um, when these first two things happen, meaning when we face resistance or we're misunderstood, okay, we are all tempted to say, this isn't the way it's supposed to go. We need a new plan. We need a new plan. We need to change our strategy. We need to change our methodology. This, this just isn't going well, right? There's all this, like, all these negative vibes are coming in. And like, we, we just, we need, a, we need a cleansing and we need to do things differently now, okay? But what I want you to see is that Paul and Barnabas, like they change nothing. They change nothing about what they had done. They go back to the same cities and they say the same things. They talk to the same people. There is no change at all. Paul's just like, well, this is the message. These people need to hear it. We're gonna go tell it to them. That's it. Like, that's it. And the encouragement is, I already read it, but I'll circle back around to it. Remember that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Hey, remember, this is part of the deal. Okay, great pep talk. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate that. Okay. We have to be willing to persevere and to continue to do things the way that God's called us to, right? To continue to preach the gospel, to continue to encourage one another. Um, we notice there in verse 23, when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Um, this is another pattern that we see when they start a new church. They, they give leaders and elders, okay? And so Paul says, hey, we're gonna, you know, that's what God wants us to do. We're gonna keep doing it. And the reason they went back to those cities, by the way, if you're like, man, like, did Paul, did Paul just like to suffer? Like, did he just, was that like a death wish kind of thing? No, the reason they went back is he said, hey, you know, I know, I know most of the people got mad and stoned us, but some people believed. There are some new Christians there. We gotta go back. They need help. They need to be discipled. They need, they need to know what a church is, and, and we need to find leaders and elders to help shepherd them and lead them forward. So we gotta go back. My goodness, like we have to go back. And so they go back. Their response is not to back away from what God has called them to, but to press into it. They press in. They're like, even more. We're just gonna go harder and stronger into what God has called us to. And so at, at this point, um, I just want to raise the question, what is Christianity really about? We're talking about being on mission, which is just following Jesus, making disciples, it's doing what God's called us to do. But like, what, what does that look like? Because I think for all of us, we have to, we, have, we read a text like this and we say, is this what it's supposed to be like? Is it supposed to be like the book of Acts? Is it supposed to be a lot of resistance and a lot of being misunderstood and a lot of suffering but continuing on, on, the, on the path, and, and I've told you guys before, just reiterate it, I think the answer is yes. The answer is yes, even though there's a lot of church history that hasn't exactly looked like this, okay? Um, you can come talk to me after that later. You know, we can, we can geek out about history. Um, but, but yeah, I think this is basically kind of what it's supposed to look like. I, I'll say this. I think this is what Paul thought it was supposed to look like. Right? I don't, Paul never seems to indicate something strange is happening to him. Peter even uses that language. He says, don't, you know, in 1 Peter, he says, don't, don't think of the trials and the sufferings you're experiencing as though something strange were happening to you. Like that this is out of place. Like this is actually what it is. And, and so if this is what it is, I think then it's, it's helpful to ask the question, 
well, then why was Paul so excited about following Jesus? Like, if this is what it was, why was he so eager to do that? Uh, and we don't get the answer here in Acts 14, but I want to read from 2 Corinthians 4, which is from the Apostle Paul, verses 16 through 18. He says it this way. We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul clearly had an outlook on eternity. And he was living now in light of eternity. And so when he lost things that would have been valuable now, it's not that he pretended like it wasn't a real loss. It was a real loss. He knew it. But he said, that's okay because my, my, my life is not wrapped up in these temporal things that are here today and gone tomorrow. What I'm focused on is something in the future, something that's eternal, something that Jesus says is treasure in heaven, where moth and rust does not destroy, where thieves cannot break in and steal. Paul was not living primarily for this life. He was looking beyond to a future life. If we're going to persevere, I think that's the perspective we have to have. We have to look beyond. We have to have a focus on eternity. Last thing I want us to see. We have to be willing to face resistance. We have to be willing to be misunderstood. We have to be willing to persevere, and we must be willing to celebrate. We have to be willing to celebrate. You know, they go back to Antioch, where it all started. Remember, this is the end of their first journey. And they celebrate. They celebrate. Um, I think it's so interesting. Verse 27. Uh, that this is the summary verse Luke chooses to give. Okay? So we just read about all the, the specifics that happened. All the suffering, all the resistance, all that. And I don't think that they didn't tell him about that. Of course they told him about all that stuff. But look at how Luke summarizes what they said. When they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. In other words, Paul and Barnabas looked back at the first trip and they said, mission accomplished, success. The Lord opened the door for faith to the Gentiles. That's exactly what we set out to do and God did it. Look at all the amazing things that he did. They thought it was such a success that they went out and did it again. We're gonna see that in chapter 16. I don't know if you thought that was a success as you read through chapters 13 and 14, but they thought it was a success. They thought that was what God wanted. And again, not that it was perfect or that everything went exactly the way that they wanted it to go. You know, I don't, look, Paul's gonna recount everything that he suffers later on in the New Testament. And he, he doesn't say it like, oh, that was awesome. Remember when I got whipped 39 times, five times? That was great. Like, he doesn't say it that way, right? Like, he's like, it, it wasn't great. It was hard through much tribulation, many tribulations. So he's, he's being honest about it. He says, man, this is exactly what we need to do. And they celebrate. They celebrate. They rejoice. We need to recall what God has done. We talk about that a lot here at Sojourn, that we, we remember, okay? We look back to remind ourselves of God's faithfulness. That's exactly what they're doing here. And we need to rejoice and celebrate. Man, this life's hard. This life is hard. Following Jesus is hard. Living on mission is hard. We need to rejoice. And, and we, 
and when we do that, like when we get back together and we say, okay, what happened, okay? Um, when we do that with one another, I think it draws out the, the, the big picture of what God is doing, right? Because it can be so easy to focus on the small things, the small defeats, the resistance, and, and you can kind of get in your own head about it. But man, that's why groups are so important. You get together with other believers and you start talking and you just realize, man, man God's faithful. Like he's working, he's doing something here. And he's, he's sustaining us in the midst of it, in the midst of the hardship, in the midst of the difficulty, in the midst of the trials and the stress and the anxiety and, and all of my stuff, my sin, he's working on me too. In the midst of all of that, we're able to see man, God's working and he's good and he's accomplishing his purposes. It's so important that we reflect and we remember and we share and we, we bring other people into our lives and we do that together as a community. Uh, this world is hard, our days are short, and our enemy is real. We need to encourage and to be encouraged and to celebrate what God is doing. As we wrap up this morning, uh, I want to circle back around to this idea of, of cost, that following Jesus is costly, that living on mission comes with a cost. Um, but, but the truth is this, is that if you choose not to, okay, so if, if you say, man, that, that's too much, like I, you know, if that's what following Jesus is, no, like I, I'll do something else, thank you. That has a cost too. And, and, and the problem is, is that as much as following Jesus costs you in this life, the other way has a much greater cost, right? It costs you your soul. It costs you for eternity. Uh, as I was thinking about this, I, I think it, it's very similar to the concept of saving for retirement, okay? Uh, if, you, if you go, you know, talk to a financial counselor or you just read any article on finance on the internet, maybe not any article, but pretty much any article, okay? Any, any reputable website. And you're like, you know, how should I make a budget? What should I do with my money? One of the first things they're gonna tell you is, well, you need to save, right? You need to save. And specifically, you need to save for retirement. Why do they say that? Well, a couple of things. Number one, they're like, well, if you live long enough, eventually you're going to retire. Why? Not just because you want to, but because you won't be able to work anymore. Your body's going to break down. You're going to have health issues. Like, like stuff's going to happen to you. And so there's going to be a day where you're not going to be able to make the money that you make now, but you're still going to have costs. Okay. How do you, how do you mitigate that? How do you plan for that? Well, retirement, right? You save now, you sacrifice now, you forego some pleasure now, so that in the future, right, you're taken care of. Okay, now, um, for the most part, our society does that, accepts it, like, yep, we should do that. Why? Why? Why do we just accept we should sacrifice now for the future? Well, I think it's because we all know the future's coming, right? We all know if I live long enough, I'm gonna get old. If I live long enough, I'm not gonna be able to, to do the work I do now. I'm not gonna make the money I make now have to save, okay? Um, so then, you guys see where we're going with this, right? If the Bible's true, and if eternity's real, and if there is such a thing as earthly treasure and heavenly treasure, the way Jesus says there is, then if, if all that's true, then why in the world wouldn't we apply the same principle? Why wouldn't we apply the principle of sacrificing now, foregoing the immediate pleasures and satisfactions of this life and saying, no, 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 I'm not living 
with right now primarily in view. I'm living with eternity in view because that is coming. It will be here one day. James says that our life is like a mist, a vapor. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. It will be over before you realize it. And if we're gonna follow Jesus, if we're gonna be on mission, we cannot live with the here and now as the primary focus of our lives. We must live with the future, eternity as the focus of our lives. And here's the best news. I haven't even said it yet. Here's the best news. And if you have been walking with Jesus for any amount of time, you already know this is true, is that you get the future stuff and God's good enough that you get all the temporary stuff too. Now, you're not gonna get it the way this world promises it. You're, right. you're not, you're not gonna get all the things that our world values necessarily. But what you are gonna get is God. You get Jesus. We just sing about him in these incredible songs, how faithful he is, how good he is, how he promises to never leave us or forsake us, his peace that passes all his It's with us. His spirit is with us. We get all of that right now in addition to eternity, in addition to the future. When you think of it that way, in my mind, there's really no choice to make. It's made, right? It's made. We put our faith and our hope in Jesus. He's trustworthy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, for how you speak to us through it. For this text, we thank you for incredible men like Paul and Barnabas and their example to us, um, the way that they demonstrate what it means to follow you, what it means to reevaluate what life is all about, what a successful life looks like. God, I pray um, not just that we would hear you this morning, the text this morning, but we would believe it. We would believe that it's true. We would believe that the life you offer to us is better than any life that's available to us in this world. That we would believe that following you, whatever it costs us now, pales in comparison to what is awaiting us in eternity. God, I pray uh, that, that these things would be true of us here at Sojourn, that this is, this is who we'd be, that as your people, we would be people who are living with eternity right in front of us, uh, and that we see the world through those lenses. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.